Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hi, thanks for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. Today, I had a great conversation with Teresa and Josh Wood, who invest in real estate together as a couple. We talk about the real estate investing journey, things they've learned along the way, plus a duplex they recently purchased that's being converted into a fourplex. They share a strategy they use to save money on renovations and contractors and so much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, today I'd like to welcome Josh and Teresa to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome guys, welcome to the show. And if you could just tell me about yourself and how you got into real estate investing. Well, thanks for having us, Corey. It's great to be here. So yeah, I'm Teresa Wood. I am a psychologist and real estate investor all at the same time. And I'm Josh and I let Teresa do most of the talking. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, we've been real estate investors since 2017. 2017. That's when we got into it. Okay. How did you guys end up getting into it? What kind of inspired you to get into real estate investing? Josh inspired us to get into real estate investing. Teresa forced me to get into real estate investing. (laughs) Okay, that's that's kind of circular. Like somebody started it. (laughs) I was unhappy at work and complaining a lot. So she said, hey, you've been talking about doing this for a little bit. Why don't we go to one of these talks and just see if anything clicks? And she kind of had to drag me there. But it was halfway through that talk where I was like, okay, I think this makes sense. So, you know, I jumped on board and she was actually pretty surprised by how motivated I was after that one meetup. Yes, you might be familiar with Keyspire. Scott McGilvery travels around and he's kind of the face for Keyspire, which is a large national real estate investing network. And so that's the talk that we attended. After that talk, we ended up joining the network. And that's really when things started happening for us. So we purchased our first investment property in Calgary, after we had done a three-day training seminar with Keyspire. And yeah, we just knew that we wanted to get into it. So we started off with this single family home that we renovated, added a secondary suite to. And a few months later, we simultaneously purchased another duplex across the country in London, Ontario. So that's kind of where we started with our real estate investing. How long ago would that have been when you guys took the Keyspire seminar? That was right at maybe the end of 2016. and No, it was like February 2017. And then we purchased our first property kind of in the spring of 2017. Yeah, so yeah. pretty soon after. Well, that's awesome. Do they offer a course that you can take as well? Or is it just the seminar, like a three-day seminar that you would do? No, that was essentially what it was. You start with a seminar and then the course was to follow after you kind of dive in with them. And the course was really where it was, you know, coming at us hard and fast. And we decided what better way to learn all this, you know, you can sit in a room and try to absorb as much as you can, but the best way to learn it is just to jump in and get your feet wet. So that's what we did. For sure. It's the best way to learn, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This perfect. Cause this leads into my next question, basically about your guys' first real estate investment, what you ended up buying. So it sounds like you bought a property and then you had a suite put in it as well. 
was it a legal suite or did it end up just kind of any under the radar type of suite? No, it was a legal suite. And, you know, I think we realized pretty soon that we bit off a little more than we can chew. It was a massive renovation for us, you know, just getting started out of the gate. We didn't have proper zoning. So it was an RC1 lot. And we decided that we were going to put a legal suite in, renovate the upper unit, get it rezoned. We ended up getting it rezoned to RC1S for the secondary suite. But it was a large renovation project with a lot of moving parts and rezoning just to, you know, get us started off. And we learned a ton from that project. <laughs> I bet. And did it already have an illegal suite in it? And then you were just updating it? Or was it like, hey, there's not even a suite in this house and we're starting from scratch? I tried to convince the city it that was there debatable. was that there was an illegal suite. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think they went for it. So we ended up having to do the whole process. Yeah. Oh. And this was 2017. So this was before the city was where they're at now, where they have a procedure in place. This is where you had to go before council. You had to apply directly to council to change the zoning. So it was a lot more involved than the process that the city has now for yeah. putting in a suite. Wow. Yeah, I bet. Did you guys, do you guys still own the property? Was it basically a buy and hold is what you did? Yep, we do. Mm -hmm. We still have it. And you must have been like turning into a burr where you refinanced and then pulled some money out. Is that how it yep. went? You betcha. Awesome. Now I want to hear about this property you bought in London, Ontario. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, as Josh said, we jumped right in, two feet, full in. I don't know if I would recommend that to a newbie investor but definitely a lot of lessons learned. So while that project in Calgary was still happening and we had a contractor here who was managing that, after we had to let go of the first contractor where it wasn't working out, we were managing this Calgary project from across the country. We had to move to Ontario. I was in Ontario doing a residency year for my doctoral degree. And we knew that we'd be in London for at least a year. So we thought, why not? buy something here that we could live in, add to our portfolio. So that's what we did. We worked with a realtor in London and we purchased a duplex. We lived in one of the units. The other unit was already rented out. And so we did some minor upgrades while we lived there for the year. It you guys really jumped in the fire. Wow. You didn't have enough on your plate taking your PhD. You thought, hey, let's do a property while we're here. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's and, how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> and then did you keep that property? And how did that turn out? What happened there? Well, we kept it while we were living in London. So while we were living in that upper unit, we got pregnant. So we were in a walk-up kind of second story. And then we found out we were having twins. So Teresa, first thing she says to me is we can't, we can't live here. So we had to buy another house. So we had to refinance again. I don't know how the bank gave us this money because we had a couple loans already. We were refinancing. <laughs> we bought another house down the street from that one. And then that was going to be our single family that we lived in and then have the two duplexes operating at the same time. So yeah, that's what we ended up doing. Wow. That's amazing. And a obviously crazy time, right? To get through all that and deal with what you guys were dealing with. It was a little <laughs> crazy. I'm a father of twins as well. So yeah. How do you? Yeah. It's a lot of work for sure. It's quite the we, we say it's a lot of fun and we let people interpret that word how <laughs> yeah. they will. I used to say it's exhausting and amazing all at the same time. That's, That's right. I... <laughs> exactly how it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys could share some real estate advice, what's something that comes to mind for the best real estate advice you guys have received and implemented? 
don't be afraid to take that first step. I think the one mistake we made was not doing enough due diligence and trusting the people in our network without understanding what it is we should know about the people we're about to work with. But at the end of the day, we took that leap. We made some huge mistakes, but we persevered and came out the other end. But without those mistakes, we wouldn't be where we are today. So we talked to a lot of first-time investors who just sit and wait and wait and wait to try to time something perfectly. And they're missing deals. They're going right by them, sliding under their nose. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to jump in. It might not be a home run, but it's going to get you off to the races, right? Mm -hmm. Huge education from it and hopefully financial gain too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think it's really that combination, right? Like go out and get yourself educated, you know, get a foundation. And if that comes from joining a formal network, or if it comes from, you know, having a coach or a mentor, that's kind of offering that to you. But at some point you will have the information that you need and the learning is going to happen by experience, right? It's going to happen when you're in it doing it. There's things that I don't think we could have learned unless we were doing it. You know, it's that experiential learning, right? Got to learn doing It's kind of like you can read all you want about a country, but until you go visit there, you're not really going to experience it. And, you know, in it's true essence, I guess, right? Until you actually jump off the fence and take action. And Absolutely. Any mistakes you guys could share that you kind of see with new investors? Obviously, you've got to take action. And then once they've taken action, what are some things that you see maybe they're overlooking? Get three quotes. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice. So that first property that we bought, Teresa left out a pretty big detail of that journey that we went on when we had to let one of the first contractors go on that property. And we were driving across the country to get to London and hoping that we had a place to live in when we got here, while also dealing with threats of being sued from the first contractor who thought he was entitled to a lot more money when the work wasn't done. So We were simultaneously hiring new contractor, talking with lawyers, dealing with the old contractor and trying to secure the property that we were supposed to move into when we got to London. So that comes back to that piece about just trusting the people that we had met in our network that, you know, telling us this was a good contractor and then us not doing the due diligence ourselves and getting multiple quotes. You can't just trust the people based on another person's word. You have to still put them through the paces and vet them yourself. And that was the biggest learning that we've got out of that whole experience for sure. Yeah, that's great advice. If we just shift now to Calgary market, I would like to talk about cash flow. We know that interest rates are going up and that's going to make it a bit more challenging. When you're looking for properties, how hard is it to find something that will actually cash flow in Calgary? And it's hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you and say that we have ways of finding deals that everybody else can't. I think the one thing that works for our strategy is we've got time. We've got a lot of time. So we look at these properties, you know, time in market rather than timing the market. And for us, we can really take advantage of that time in market piece. So we run our numbers extremely conservatively and any cash flow is good cash flow to us. We just know that if we like the property, we like the community, we like the deal. If the cash flow number passes our very low threshold, we know that if we hold it for enough time, it's going to be something that's going to work for us down the road. So we don't have any magical advice about finding cash flow because it is extremely hard to find, but we just 
we have that edge because we have the time to just get the properties going and get on to the next one. So that's the way we look at it, especially these days. For sure. Do you guys have any favorite neighborhoods in Calgary that you would prefer to invest in? I'll let Teresa answer that one because she gets the feeling. I don't. All I see is numbers. She walks through the house and gets the feeling. I'll defer to her. Yeah. I mean, I think that we have a certain tenant profile that we have kind of narrowed down and said, this is really who we do well serving. This is a good fit for, you know, the product that we offer. And so we look for neighborhoods in which our, you know, tenants or prospective tenants would want to live in. So we really stick to the Northwest and Southwest quadrants. It's what we're familiar with. It's what we like. They are higher priced areas generally. And so, you know, we have to factor that in as well to our numbers. We also know that, again, those numbers have to work for us and we want to attract the tenant who, you know, our ideal tenant that we've kind of established for our business. And what type of tenant? Is it like a young family or is it kind of younger university students? What kind of profile are you guys kind of liking to work with? Yeah. So our tenant profile is a younger working professional, somebody who will eventually go on to own their own home. Okay. Makes sense. I kind of want to dive into, you guys recently secured a duplex, right? And then you're going to actually uh, convert it to a fourplex. So obviously that's really going to help with the cash flow on that particular property. And it's here in Calgary. What neighborhood is that one in? That so one is in North Haven. Mm -hmm. And just the numbers look really good. Was there anything about that unit that kind of made it stand out to you guys as investors? The purchase price was pretty incredible. I think Teresa did a really good job of negotiating that deal. And she has this knack for getting to know who is selling the property and then how to appeal to their trigger points in a way where they want to work with us over a competing offer. And she's done this multiple times for multiple properties that we've managed to acquire. So yeah, she can speak to that. If Okay, yeah, we've got to dig into that for sure. It's not, I mean, it's what not- What are you doing? <laughs> we generally write a letter. We write a letter to the sellers. We talk about who we are and you know we're honest about it, who we are as individuals, what we do with our rental properties and why it's important to us. And I think, you know, it doesn't work every time, but for the right seller, for somebody that, you know, cares about who that property goes to, you know, that we are people who are going to take care of it. We want to take care of it. And sometimes that's enough to appeal and yeah. win out over a competing offer, even if it is higher. How long ago did you guys secure this one? Because the months we know that the market's changed so much, right? Like, I'm just interested to know that. Yeah. So just before the last interest rate hike is kind of how I'm gauging it. Um <laughs> Yeah, because we're keeping a close eye on the numbers. We're obviously watching our projected cash flow with every you know new announcement from the Bank of Canada. So before, not the one that just happened. So I'm not sure when this is going to air, but you know we just went up three quarters of a point. It was when we uh, just raised the last one. That was right before the deal kind of got inked, and we kind of decided that at this point now, no matter what happens, we've secured the property at a price where we think no matter what happens, we just got to keep this thing and make it work. Because long-term, it's going to be a moneymaker for us. Yeah, for sure. Was it a multiple offer situation in this case? It was? It was, yeah. So the property probably wasn't on the market very long then? Or Actually, the property had been on the market for almost two, three months. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yes. And so they started out quite high with what they were asking, listed it at a time when the market was still quite hot, but the property itself needs quite a lot of work. And so they did have some initial offers that it's my understanding they declined, thinking that they could attract higher offers. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And so we came in with our offer. We'd been watching this property for a while and, you know, seeing that it wasn't really moving. And that was something that we were looking for, right? Properties were going rather quickly. They were very expensive. The numbers didn't work, multiple offers. And we just didn't want to waste our time on something like that. So we were looking for the properties that were sitting for a while, the properties that were maybe often on the market, you know, fell through because of financing or whatever other condition, you know, that gives you a little bit more time and maybe some opportunity to actually go in with conditions on your offer, which is what happened in this case. So it allowed us that time to kind of work through the different pieces that we needed to pull this deal together. Yep. Nice. So it's a duplex. Was there separate entrances already? So it's kind of easy to convert to a fourplex. How complex is the conversion? The conversion is not complex. There's just everything basically needs to be touched. And that's where the complexity comes in. No separate entrances. We're going to end up closing off one entrance and have completely separate entrances. We're going to have uh, full laundry access for all units. We're doing some conversions to make the bedrooms a little bit bigger. There's three small bedrooms upstairs and we're converting it to two really good sized bedrooms and an office. So they're going to be very nice units when we're done if we can do what we have visualized for the property. Is it under renovation already right now? Has it started? We don't have possession yet, but we've gotten the ball rolling. We've got lots of quotes coming through now and we're just getting prepared to get our drawings done so we can get those submitted to the city as soon as possible and get them reviewing our secondary suite applications well ahead of time. So, yeah. I was going to actually start asking about that. How complex is that now to go to the city and can you kind of go through a little bit of like high level what the paperwork looks like? Yeah, they've done a great job of making it a lot more appealing for people. Obviously, getting your hands on illegal suites really simplifies things. You don't have to do a lot of the uh, extra things, the drawings, the elevation drawings. If there's any you know, changes, you don't have to do an additional heat source in those properties. So they've done a great job to make it easier. And that's why those illegal fourplexes or illegal duplexes just get snatched up thing we started to look at was, well, what's the difference in the math? Because if we're paying $150,000 more for an illegally suited place, because we know it's going to be slightly easier to legalize, why don't we start looking at the ones that aren't suited? Because it's not $150,000 difference in work. And that's what really pointed us at this property. Not having the illegal suites was actually an advantage because a lot of other investors weren't even looking at it. And I'm sorry, I don't think that even answered your question. I kind of went on a tangent there. No, that's good. Because actually, I'm going to ask some questions about that here in a little bit, because that brings up some other stuff for sure. What kind of timeline do you think with the city, like now that you guys have put in the paperwork and that kind of thing? The good news is because they're fully separate suites, the plan is to get the upper units fully completed and rented, knowing that we are likely going to give a little bit of a rent discount while we're doing work below. But if we focus on the upper units, we can start collecting rent within the next four to six months, hopefully, probably earlier if all goes well. And that will A, buy us time for getting the approval for the secondary suites, and B, we'll start to be able to collect some income while we're finishing the lower units. So that is the plan. Kind of like a house hack where you've done part and then you're going to do the rest while people are living there. 
exactly. Yeah. Smart. And obviously, because it didn't have the illegal suites, there is more complexity. So are they going to require new furnace for each unit in the basement, that kind of thing? Yeah, separate heat sources will be required. But the nice thing is, is the blank slate down there. There's no walls up. There's nothing hiding behind the walls. So we could see exactly what's going on down there. One of the problems with buying these 60 homes that had a 60s basement put in or 70s basement put in, you really don't know what you're going to find when you start opening things up. And that was another thing that probably drove some other investors away, but really appealed to us is we know exactly what we're getting into. And we can work out this budget ahead of time, knowing that we're not going to have too many unforeseen surprises come our way. How about the parking? Was there enough already to accommodate the four units? So we have a plan around parking. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I started this by saying I don't do a lot of talking, but I'm doing most of the talking here. So Teresa, why don't you jump in and... Go ahead. You're talking about parking. All right. So (laughs) we have a two-car parking pad on the property already, and we have alleyway access. So we have a few different options we can go down, but the first thing we're going to do is apply for a relaxation with the city. What they look at with these properties when you're getting the secondary suite is proximity to major bus routes and transportation routes. So when that's the case, and given even with this property, it's a corner lot. So there's a lot of curbside parking available. Not that we go in with the notion that the city should allow these tenants to park on the street, but what they'll do oftentimes is say, you know, based on your proximity to major bus routes and based on the corner lot and the fact that there's already a two-car pad there, It's not outside the realm of possibility that they might just allow a relaxation for the parking. We won't have to add any new spots. If we do have to add new spots, we have multiple different ways that we can do that by playing around with the grading, adding gravel parking pad, or doing something in the back alleyway to accommodate the extra parking. But we've kind of checked off our bases there to come up with a number of different options in case we don't get that relaxation approved. Yeah, that's great. And then was there any wins with the property? Like, are you had the roof replaced and the windows have been updated or is it totally from like... No, nothing's been done. Actually, there was a a big win. Teresa called ATCO because the gas meters were inside the basement suites. Oh, still in the basement. Yeah, she called ATCO to get a price from them. And then what we think might have happened is ATCO reached out to the homeowner and inquired with the current homeowner about, you know, whether or not they want these gas meters moved. And the homeowner said, yeah, please, let's do it. So ATCO came in and moved the gas meters outside and we had budgeted about $4,000 for somebody to come move them. So that's already been done. Yeah, no, they want them outside for sure. And they had a program a number of years back where they were taken, because in the old houses, they're always on the inside, right? The old properties, but there's more risk, more inherent risk for sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So a small win, right? You got to come up with wins, right? That's right. That's right. And how did you guys secure financing for this project? We found somebody to pay cash for it. So (laughs) we're working with a partner and the partner is really motivated to get into this and get going with it. And just, you know, when we started doing the numbers, A, we knew a traditional lender wasn't going to touch this thing with the renovations, the way they are, how long it's going to sit vacant. So we're looking into private money. When we started looking at private money, the rates are what you'd expect to pay higher than any rate you're going to get quoted from a bank. But really what triggered a question was the amount of fees we're paying, you know, the broker fee, the lender fee, legal, the legal fees. Now we're budgeting instead of $2,500 for closing fees, we're budgeting 15000 in closing fees. So when that number got thrown out, our money partner just said, well, I have a line of credit. Why don't I just buy the house with it and you pay me the 8%? And Teresa and I both said, that's a brilliant idea. We should do that. So 
that's what we're going to end up doing. And they're going to make a little bit of money on top of it, pay the same interest rate to them that we're going to pay for the private funds or go all those fees. And then once we're tenanted and renovated and completed, we'll get our appraisal and we'll flip it into conventional financing because our money partner is going to go on title for that and we're good to go. Oh, that's great. It's a win-win because on their line of credit, they're probably only paying 3% interest or something, right? So yeah, slightly higher than that, but still they're going to make money by, you know, using the bank's money on an investment that they wanted to get into anyway. And we're going to save 15 grand that we can push towards, you know, further enhancing the property and getting that after repair value up. Nice. And how did you find this? Was it a family friend? Did you already have a relationship with this person or did you kind of find? We had been talking with this individual for a while. They've wanted to do something with us. They've been following us in our journey and asking questions. And finally, we found the deal that kind of spoke to them. And it wasn't a, a long conversation to say, hey, you should do this one with us. So that relationship was formed beforehand, which makes sense when you're dealing with this kind of money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it already, it helped a lot that we just recently done a fourplex, right? So they could see the kind of work that we did, how we pulled this all together. The last fourplex that we did, we did a similar thing. We didn't get a mortgage on it. We borrowed private funds to actually pay for the property cash. So we were already familiar with that side of things and how we could finance it and how we could make it a win-win for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And what was the purchase price, if you don't mind me asking, of the property? So Teresa, you know, mentioned that they had listed this property a little bit high at the time. I think they were closer to seven mm -hmm. for this property. When we put in our offer, they were listed at six fifty, I believe. And we negotiated back and forth a number of times after home inspection. We managed to get the price of the property down to five eighty five. So to us, you know, a duplex in any condition, in you know one of the premier communities in the city in the fives is like i don't care how many renovations it needs let's do this and we'll find a way to make it work yeah that's a huge win at 585 yeah mm. what are you guys budgeting for renovations so because it, it is pretty extensive right you're adding you're gonna have two kitchens plus there was no bathroom in these basements there were just nothing there's yeah. nothing down so, there right now so, so it needs a ton of work our preliminary numbers we're shooting for about 280 we do higher end renovations. We don't cut corners. So when we run our numbers, we have to ensure that we get the right purchase price and we have to do as much as we can to know what our ARV is. We have about a 10% contingency baked into that. So even after that, we're still comfortable with our ARV that we're going to be ahead, that we're going to cash flow a small amount on the other end, depending on how many more interest rate hikes happen over the next you know, eight months, but either way, we're comfortable holding this property for long enough, knowing that it's going to make sense for us. The nice thing too, is rental rates are also trending up with interest rates, yes. right? So when, right. when you finally, these are going to be brand new units, they're going to be beautiful. You're going to be able to get top dollar for the rent, you know, when you actually do put them on the market. Mm -hmm. That's true. And the other thing we've started to look at into now that we have multiple properties in our portfolio is not just cash flow per property, but cash flow per portfolio. And as long as we are ahead in some of the other areas and we're keep acquiring properties that are going to lead to opportunities in the future, as long as our portfolio cash flow number is somewhere where we're happy with it, we're okay to factor these properties in if Teresa gets the feeling on them when we walk through them. So. <laughs> 
Nice. What do you guys estimate the ARV to be once it's actually? Uh, oh, this is such a fun <clears throat> question. It is so hard to know because when you start a project, you can look at the comparables, which we definitely do. But of course, ARV, you're talking like six to 12 months down the road. So we know that a lot can change in that time, either in our favor or against. So it is very difficult to know. And I think that you make the best educated guess that you can. So one thing that we do, we do have an appraiser on our team. And so, you know, we do go to this appraiser to kind of talk about these prospective properties and to get a sense as to what ARV would be, as well as get a sense as to what do we need to be thinking about or doing in these renovations to really get that top after repair value when it comes at time. And so that's something that I would recommend, especially if you're new to this and you don't really know how to calculate or how to figure out what that after repair value would be is connect with an appraiser. And it might mean you have to pay out of pocket, right? To get some information, but I think well worth it for us. You know, we did that with the last fourplex that we did and we like well exceeded the number that that appraiser had given to us just the market had changed and things had changed along the way so that worked out in our favor but if you know that the numbers work with a conservative after repair value yeah the rest is just bonus yeah the rest is just bonus exactly so we're running at a conservative arv on this property of 925 to 950 yeah i think a little bit higher but yeah super conservative yeah Nice. How do you guys for this big reno, are you going to do some of the sweat equity yourself? Do you have contractors already that you already know and have relationships with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have a contractor to answer your question. Mm -hmm. The thing that we've learned makes a huge difference is when you start combing through that contractor's quote with all of those line items, the more you take off, you also have to factor in their added on difference on top of that. So most contractors are adding on about 18 to 24%, depending on you know, what tier that contractor believes they're in. So every item that you remove and you supply or you outsource, take 20% off of the total price of that and also deduct that. So luckily we have a contractor that says, I don't need to buy and source all these materials. If you want to find them, you know, if I budget $4 a square foot for flooring and I can go find it for two fifty dollars a square foot and that total ticket price was going to add up to 7,000. Now I can take off that 7,000 plus 20% above that 7,000. And I can just pay the 5% GST to buy it at the store, deliver it to site and save a bunch of money. And by doing this and by supplying as many of the materials as possible, that's really the best way that we've found to add the sweat equity. And, you know, I've gone in and tried to do baseboards and trim myself and backsplash tile myself and at the end of the day i'm sitting there doing it at night after i've worked a full day put the kids down gone over to the property to do tiling and i'm saying this isn't worth my time at this point i'd rather pay somebody to do this so i try to save the money where we can and for us it's really finding that contractor that allows you to work with them and skimming off of those line items and supplying purchasing and supplying the materials yourself we find a huge advantage by doing it that way uh, that's smart. So they don't have the opportunity basically to upcharge on the material costs. Um, exactly. So anything that we can buy for cheaper than they've put in the quote, we save that amount of money plus the 20% markup they were going to get for sourcing and getting on site. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it does save them time too, obviously. They're not going to the store and finding the material and all that kind of stuff, right? The material's there, they just do the work. For sure, yep. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you find your, because you're going to need multiple contractors, right? So you've kind of worked out these relationships before. You have, how have you vetted them? How have you kind of, because you, earlier on you shared the story about you know making sure you get three quotes, that kind of thing. So how do you guys now go through and make sure you find a good quality contractor? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we have found a couple actually that we've now worked with and we have a good relationship with, you know, we know the kind of work that they do. We know whether they come in on time, on budget. We have those relationships established now. So I wouldn't say that we still get the multiple quotes with the contractors because we have those relationships built, but we definitely still check in with our contractors around you know, thoroughly going through a quote and ensuring that we're all on the same page with, you know, what the scope of the work will be and benchmarks and such. So was it from referrals then? Was it from other people that basically you didn't just go on Google and like, hey, I'm looking for a framer? That's right. Yes. So we originally found them through word of mouth. All of the contractors we've ever worked with. Through the network. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's a great way to find good quality people, right? It's through someone that you already know, like, and trust. That's right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we've touched on some of this already, but with the Calgary market's changing, interest rates are climbing, cash flow is going to unfortunately start to diminish. Do you guys see any opportunities for, you know, the way the market is shifting, like for investors? And if you could just explain some opportunities. Well, I think the way that we've been looking at it, even for the last few months, just seeing how the market's changing, we're looking in those communities that we like to be in. And then we try to always look in the place where, Nobody else is looking. So, you know, back to my earlier point about everybody's jumping all over the illegal suited places because they're easy to transition. Well, when you do the math, if you're getting one for a loan up purchase price, you might as well go through the full suiting process because you're going to save money. That's kind of how we were able to acquire this property so low is I don't think other investors were really looking at it because it wasn't illegally suited. The great thing about this property, too, is it's in a community that we know is going to appreciate. And it's one of those premier communities in the Northwest. And this is the worst property probably in the community, to be honest with you. And we kind of just stumbled across it by, you know, keeping our eye on it in MLS and then going through the community and just going for a tour and seeing really what it had to offer. You don't get a whole lot from the MLS listing in terms of, you know, what this hidden gem is sitting in a beautiful community because you don't get that other kind of view. So yeah, we try to look in the areas where, you know, when multiple offers were happening, why is this property sitting on the market for a long time? Let's try and figure out something that somebody else isn't seeing. And that's sort of been our strategy here. Mm -hmm. And then paired with Teresa's ability to speak to the homeowner and get them to sell to us under market value it really has been kind of a one-two punch for us in the last two deals that we've closed on. It's the PhD in psychology that's, you're like, I guess you it analyzing people, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> that definitely yeah. gives you an edge. Just um, through so, MLS listing, I can do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just walking the street. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm going to hit you guys with some quick rapid questions, just whatever comes to mind there. So What's an app or software you guys use for your business that you couldn't live without? Dext. Teresa would say deal fine. I do the numbers deal and the check. accounting. Dext for me or uh, Receipt Bank. Our accountant uh, suggested that one. And Teresa loves deal check. finding deals. So That's awesome. And what's something people can't find out about you guys on Google? 
I don't have anything on Google, so you won't even find me. (laughs) They can't find anything anyway. I lay pretty low. Yeah, that's hilarious. We dabble in music. How about that one? One time we went to music camp together. Yeah. Learned. Nice. Yeah. Cool. No. (laughs) What's a favorite book of your guys's? Mine's a real estate book, and it's so cliche, I don't even want to say it, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the best motivational book for me that I've ever found. I've listened to it multiple times and read it, and just the lessons that you get from that, you always feel like, I've got to do this better every time you listen to it, no matter how much you improve, so it's just been a foundational book for me. Mm-hmm. Teresa's looking at her list of books right now. I just know. I just wanted to make sure I got the right author. Yeah. So mine's a psychology book, but I think it really applies to real estate investing as well. It's called Grit. It's by Angela Duckworth. And we've really like taken hold of those like principles of grit and like how you get through the tough times, because there is a lot of tough times in real estate investing. If you do this long enough, you're going to run into challenges. And what is it that's going to get you through that? So that's what I really mm-hmm. have been leaning into. That is a good one too. For sure. Yeah, that's great advice. What kind of activities do you guys do outside of real estate investing? Chase our kids around mainly. <laughs> Go out with the dog. I don't even know what we do anymore. It's real estate, kid, <laughs> and work. So yeah, camping. Yeah, we haven't been camping since really having the kids. No, um, I love to golf. So I try to get out and do that as much as I can. I'm a spin instructor on the side. So yeah, so she likes to ride I have bikes. our fitness stuff. Nice. Well, thanks so much, guys, for joining me today. What's the best way for people to find you guys online? That's a good question. Yeah, probably <laughs> through um, through email is the best place to find us. Griffinwood Properties at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook under Teresa Wood. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, but I never check it. So you should just reach out to <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thanks, thanks a lot, Corey. Us, Corey. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment focused real estate agent. I also have a certification as a master home inspector. I'm currently partnering on a property flip in Calgary with Shirley Evans, who I consider to be a professional property flipper. Shirley has a wealth of real estate knowledge. We're going to be offering Eventbrite meetups at the property. So if you're in the Calgary area, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my number is 587-893-2272. You can follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or check out my website and that's just CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, you can also join our new Facebook group, Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. That's Craig for short. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.